Hello and welcome to the We Scottish Book Club News of the Dead special part two. Um, this week we are going to be chatting all things News of the Dead and Damien Barr's The Big Scottish Book Club um, with some extra special guests this week. So joining me, News of the East, Scott, and News of the West, Natalie, we have got News of the Red, Diane, and we've got News of the Wed, Carrie. Hey, that was good. Welcome, guys. How are you both? I'm good, thank you. It's very exciting to be on chatting to you guys. Really? All good. Thanks for having us. If this is the excitement, exciting part of your week, it must be a shit one. Just saying. <laughs> well, I went back to work this week after three weeks off, so you've, you've summed that up well. <laughs> <laughs> so we have previously got together to preview um, our television experience that was the Big Scottish Book Club talking all things James Robertson's News of the Dead. We were joined by Ella and Lex on part one, which was pre-recording of the show. And now we're all done. We filmed everything. We're now global celebrities. People are stopping asking me for my signature everywhere I go. A little autograph here and there. That's actually guarantor for the loans, Scott. I don't know if you were aware of that. So Is that what all those letters are? You need to actually read the documents they're asking you to sign. Just... I think it was funny that they kept making me fill it out in that little box with a big black cross beside it. Yeah, I think I think you shouldn't go out yourself in future. We'll need to work on that. I'll need to speak to my wife. <laughs> um, so... Guys, we'll start off, as we always start off when we've got some guests, by asking the question, what does Scottish literature mean to you and how is it important? Um, okay, I'll go. <laughs> Diana, Diana and I are like drawing daggers at each other. No, you speak first, no, you. Um, Scottish literature means, um, it means a lot to me. Right now, it means you guys, honestly. Um, uh, my, I suppose when I was at school, Scottish literature wasn't really a thing. We were just chatting before. I don't remember um, really, uh, you know, reading any popular or famous or well-known Scottish books at school. So um, when I joined them and you guys, it, it was a bit like you, Natalie. I really wanted to read Chuggy Bain. I seen that, that you were having a read-along and just kind of thought to join in. And here I am, but an amazing bunch of pals. And... Yeah, it just for me, it's I suppose it's that connection. It's something that we've all got in common. We've, you know, it's brought us together, and you know, now the books are just a part of this much bigger thing. But it's the one thing that keeps us all connected. And I'm loving the fact that now, you know, as, as an adult, I'm learning about all these amazing books that I was never taught about before, and I feel much more connected, you know, to the literature from my own country than than I ever have. So it's just. It's brought me, um, you know, so much joy, both literary and um, friendship-wise. <clears throat> and interestingly enough, for those listeners that don't know, we had never met before, and you had how many of us at your wedding? Um, oh, it was like two busloads at least. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's just that I would never... You know, if you had said to me a year ago, 
when obviously I was planning my wedding, you're going to have a bunch of strangers that you've never met at your wedding. I would be like, get lost. I'm not a psycho. Who are these weirdos that make friends on the internet? I was, I would have been pure judgy about it. And, and then it was just felt like the most natural thing. It would have felt weird not to have you there because we talk all the time, um, you know, and not just about books, but, you know, we've gotten really close and it was just the most natural thing for, for me to to have you guys there and it was it was lovely and it was lovely to have everybody together because I know we had like pockets of meetups before um but it was just like a big reunion even though we'd never met before but that's what it felt because yeah. I feel like I've just known this forever well actually I had called it when we first started speaking um somebody went back in the group chats and screenshotted and it was me saying Carrie I will be at your wedding so I've worked <laughs> on that and worked on that and I got, got what I wanted I think you were planting the seeds about January, Natalie, and you were just <laughs> sending the message, wedding and right. <laughs> but you invited Scott, which is a downside, but yeah. we, are, we kind of change it now. What be kind? Well, I feel that I was a big part of that evening. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It was really nice, though, wasn't it? It was just nice to see faces and things. that, And like we say, we've, we've known each other forever. That's, that's the strange yeah. thing about it all. We've known each other forever without really knowing each other forever. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Diane? Um, obviously, echoing everything Carrie said, it's great to have created this community centred around um, Scottish books. Um, but also for me, I just really enjoy reading things about your own culture and things that you recognise or things that you don't recognise, even though it's written in Scots or it's from your own country. Um, do you know there's a lot of emphasis just now on we need to read various readers, uh, authors and you know different voices, different cultures, which absolutely I agree with and we should be doing that. But I also think it's really important to read things about your own culture um, that you probably don't know. Um, and one of the big takeaways for me, especially, I mean, I know we spoke about a lot about this when we were reading the young team together, um, but the dialect that that was written in is very much my dialect. The young team is based in Airdrie, which is a stone's throw away from, from where I am. And that, like, West Coast dialogue, dialogue and particularly a Lanarkshire dialogue, you know, is very looked down upon and, you know, you'll never get anywhere with that type of accent and you need to speak properly. But Graham Armstrong really didn't shy away from using that dialect and that was probably the first time I'd ever really read that in a book and for a book that was so well written and you know was caused such a big stir um, that was a big eye-opener for me that yeah. you know what you can be proud of where you come from and um, you should celebrate it more so that's some, a big thing for me reading all these Scottish books is learning more about the country you come from but also being proud of the, the culture and the dialect and all that surrounding Scottishness. No, that's it's the exact same for me. Um, especially I don't know if you knew when I picked when the young team was picked for the book club, I asked Scott and a couple others not to choose it, not to vote for it. Because mm-hmm. I was so scared that the rest of the Scottish people that weren't for the West Coast or weren't from our backgrounds, Diane, were going to look mm-hmm. down upon us and yeah, hate you were going to be judged. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's actually mm-hmm. not been um, people like Ella who come from a totally different walk of life mm-hmm. for example it gave her an insight into how we grew up and she loved it uh, it's um, such a learning curve isn't it yep 
and yeah. vice versa for us reading it east coast or um up north or uh, down in the lowlands or any other kind of background and culture mm-hmm. it does it makes you a bit more em- empathetic to what's going on in our yeah. world absolutely aye. and like you say although we're all from one country but we've all got you know just within your book club we've got so many different areas of scotland and people that have grown up with different experiences so it's great that we all share that, but it's great to read about that in fiction as well, because you learn so much from it. That's so true, what you're saying, Diane, because I think, as opposed to other other cultures and countries and whatever, I mean, Scotland's got, I suppose, quite a, um, you know, there's this kind of stereotypical Scottish person in the kilt and the haggis, and we're all, you know, these, like, Highland dancers. And so Scotland, Scottish culture really just gets lumped into that one thing. And I think even as Scottish people, we forget you know, for a minute, forget how diverse the rest of the world is, how diverse Scotland is, you know, the diff- you know, different, co- even what book were we reading, The Mash House, and they were talking about blackenings, and that's something that they do in certain yeah. parts of the country that we don't, and the change in dialects, and I, I think what you said there is spot on, like, we for- actually forget to celebrate our own diversity, as well as, you know, the diversity of the, the rest of the world. Yep. Exactly. And at the end of the day, guys, we're all joke Thompson's Wayne's. Okay, well, as always on the We Scottish Book Club, we love to talk about all things Scottish, especially when it comes to books. So this week we have asked our two guests to bring along their favourite Scottish read. They're going to tell us a little bit about it. And hopefully, if you've not read it before, you will be desperate to read it after these little chats. So, Diane, what have you brought along to tell us about? So my book choice is probably quite predictable, actually, for somebody of my age that went to a Scottish high school. Um, But it's Sunset Song by Lewis Grassic Gibbon. Um, And if you went to a Scottish high school in the 90s, you probably read Sunset Song, if you did higher English. Um, And I get for that reason that probably puts a lot of people off, you know, if you've been forced to read a book at school. um, But for me, I've just loved it ever since reading it in school and have read it two or three times since school and will definitely read it again um, in the future. So it's set in um, the east coast of Scotland and set round about the time of the First World War, just build up to the First World War. Um, and it tells the story of a young girl called Chris Guthrie and she's about 14, 15 when we first meet her. And the book just takes us through probably the next 10 years of her life. Um, so the book starts with her moving from, with her family from Aberdeen to um, Kinradi, which is this fictional, I um, don't even know if you would call it a village as such. Um, it's just all, it's like farmland, crofts, that's what they're moving to. Her dad has bought this croft and all the family are moving there. Um, and it's just about her life living on this croft. Um, Her father is not a nice man and makes life really difficult for everyone in the family. Um, And that leads on to some quite big things happening. I don't want to give spoilers, but um, things happen that really change the dynamics of the family. And that has a big impact on Chris's life. Um, And then as I say, we continue to see her grown up, becoming older, becoming a woman. Um, But it's very much, it's Chris's story but it also talks about the land that's a huge character actually in the book is the land and um 
the kind of theme of the book is that is the one thing that is eternal is the land. Everything else changes, um, but the land's always there in some form or another. Um, and Chris is really close to the land in some respects, but it talks a lot through the book about there being two Chrises. So you've got Chris of the land and she loves the land and she's very Scottish. And then you've got the other Chris who likes books and she likes learning and she wants to go off and, you know, make better um, her life. Um, and that's a real central theme in the book as well as her grown up and this kind of push and pull of that awkward teenage years where she's not a child anymore, but she's not quite a grown adult yet either. Um, and she's trying to figure out who she is and where she wants her life to go. Um, and it's just, and you get to know all the people in Kinradi as well. Then the war comes and you inevitably have the men that go off to war and then some of those men don't come back. Um, and you've got that storyline as well. Um, but it's just a brilliant, brilliant book. Um, it was written in the 30s, um, but I still feel it's something that you could pick up for the first time now and, and really, really enjoy. Um, and it's a book that has stayed with me since, since I read it in school. It was considered apparently one of the most important Scottish novels of the 20th century is what Mr. Google told me earlier, because <laughs> I've not read it. Mr. Um, Google says it, it must be true. <laughs> but um, it was, I was kind of trying to work out why that was. And it deals with some harsh themes, doesn't it? Yeah. There's quite a lot of darkness and... Definitely, especially round about, initially round about her father. He's very strict, very religious. Um, and as I say, he really does not treat his family well. Um, you know, and it's all about, you know, how other people see you and things is, is very, very important. Um, so, yeah, there's some really dark themes round about the dad. Um, and then later on, when Chris is a bit older um, and the kind of war, comes in um, to the where the war comes into play. Some of the stories around about that, but the men going off to war are quite quite dark as well. Um, so yeah, as at times dark and it is a sad book as well. Yeah. But we love a sad book on the Scottish. Oh, we're <laughs> all about the sad books. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. It's kind of when I looked it up, um, it was kind of about. Do you know how we read about the harsh reality from our time? Mm -hmm. It's kind of the harsh reality of the way it was then. Oh, which absolutely, is, yeah. Which is maybe why living in that rural location, making a living off the land, is really harsh. And you know, as I say, the weather, the land, it's, it's all very Scottish, and that's a huge part of the story. Is mm -hmm. the the kind of harshness of it all? Have you read it, Scott? No, and actually, I didn't know what it was about. I've I've heard of it, and I've seen certain people pushing it all the time as one of their favourite Scottish books um, but I didn't know it was written in the 1930s mm -hmm. I didn't know it was that old yeah. and I definitely didn't know it was an East Coast book mm -hmm. and I definitely didn't know it was around wartime oh, no, it's set is it East Coast? yep ah. these are all new things this I'm, is so much about it as well Scott I didn't know it was a wartime book either no. and I, I some of you guys know one of my one of my favorite genres is historical fiction but I really love wartime fiction so you're describing that there Diane I'm like why have I not read this I also know or I believe it's um, a favorite book of our first minister 
Uh, yeah. loves it, um, which obviously makes me want to have a read at it because um, she does pick some good books that last, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. It's a, it's a trilogy as well. Have you read all three? Yeah, uh-huh. So the trilogy is called A Scots Queer. Um, so Sunset Song's the first book and then you've got um, Cloud How and Grey Granite. Yeah, the next two books. Um, they're not as impactful as Sunset Song. I think if you really love Sunset Song, it's interesting to read them and see where Chris's story goes. Um, and actually, I think, if I remember rightly, the Grey Granite, the third book, is actually more about Chris's son. Um, she's right. obviously much older, but at this point in that um, book, more focuses on her son. Um, uh, Sunset Song is absolutely the, the standout of the, the trilogy. Um, I would definitely recommend it and actually I would love to know what people think of it if reading it the first time as an adult because anyone I know that's read it read it at school so I would love to know what people yeah, come you can maybe for the get first time out. as an adult you can maybe get more out of it yeah because yeah, that's the one as I say it was written by a, a man who he was in his 30s when he wrote it during the 1930s but the way he writes about a teenage girl is just so accurate, I think. And I, I suppose maybe that was a big thing about reading it when I was a teenager, as you kind of related to it a wee bit. Um, but it's really, really interesting how he writes about a teenage girl. I feel he just hits the nail on the head with a lot of it. So my last question then, since you've read all three, would be, were you happy with where Chris ended up? Um... Nah. <laughs> I think I would have liked a better life for her. I understand why it went the way it did, but um, but then I suppose any life at that time was harsh, you know, unless you were, had loads of money and lived in a big fancy house. Whether you were in a city or in a um, rural location, it was a harsh life, no matter where you were, if you weren't particularly wealthy so uh, I don't think it's so much where she ended up I didn't like I just would have liked maybe a happier ending that's the, the romance in me Scottish <laughs> well, happy I was going to say unfortunately it's a Scottish book so these things well, won't yes. happen should know better uh-huh. because nobody lives happily ever after in Scotland I know <laughs> except me and you well I'm here with you <laughs> which I'm now going to, to to hide the awkwardness of that comment um, we're going to move on to Carrie she's also brought along her Scottish pick um, what have you brought along for us and can you sell it as well as Diane well Diane has set that bar quite high however <clears throat> I do know that the book that I have brought along is a favourite of uh, Natalie's so um, I think I've already got a team behind me to sell this one. So my um, Scottish Book of the Week is Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. Um, oh, I just love Eleanor. I love Eleanor's story. I, lo- I love um, everything about this book. So briefly, it is about Eleanor, Eleanor Oliphant. How many times am I going to stumble over that during this podcast? Um <laughs> So Eleanor is the protagonist. She's 
from the outside, a bit odd, um, a bit quirky, a bit of a loner. She's quite highly functioning. She's an intelligent person, but employed in quite a low-level-ish um, position in her company. Um, wears the same outfit every day, eats the same lunch, eats the same dinner, buys the same two bottles of vodka every weekend, um, doesn't have really any social connections, and then uh, something new starts at her uh, firm. And then an incident happens, an old man um, kind of falls in the street and they're both there when they're helping them, and she strikes up this conversation with um, uh, the chap from her work. And really the rest of the book is about how one person who makes an effort to show Eleanor friendship and to accept her quirky ways really changes her whole life. Um, as we go along, we learn why Eleanor is the way that she is. Um, also, the title is Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Um, and we realise that, you know, really she, she's not. And there's a lot of complex reasons behind why she's not completely fine. Um, and, you know, I, I know a lot of people read this book and find Eleanor's character annoying. But for me, I just love her so much when you understand and when you get to the parts of the book where you find out what's happened to all uh, Eleanor, you know, I just think you can't help but love her. She's just, and actually, you know, her little annoying traits to me are just really funny and endearing and I just want to cuddle her and look after her. And um, uh, I suppose... Um, I guess that really depends on when you're coming at the book from. I, I think certainly if you have an understanding of the impact of trauma um, or connection, isolation, those sort of things, you're probably more likely to be empathetic um, with Eleanor. So basically the, the book kind of culminates in, we, we sort of find out what sort of went on in Eleanor's past and we see um, really how her life could have been very different if this one individual hadn't... Um, mm you know, stuck himself out from his crowd, the crowd and his colleagues and being nice there because really people give her a lot of stick and then he was getting a bit of stick for being nice there. And I suppose we've all been there, you know, we've all been in school or the workplace and in social settings where somebody's a bit of the outcast and, you know, it's easier just to go along with the crowd and it's, it's harder to be the person that says, no, don't treat her like that, don't treat him like that. And this book, just read this book if you've ever been in that situation and it will make you never be that person again you'll always be the person that wants to stand up for somebody and you'll laugh at this book but you'll cry at it and it's heartwarming but it's heartbreaking um it's just wonderful and it's set in Glasgow I never mentioned anything Scottish about it it's set in Glasgow it's a Scottish author this was uh, Gail Honeyman's debut um novel and I think it's our only novel still I don't think she's written anything else since um but she got nominated for it you know a bunch of prizes wholeheartedly um deserving of them and it's just I can't, you can't you read this and you can't believe this is somebody's first piece of work it's just to me it's a masterpiece couldn't have said it better myself uh, what about you guys have any, have any of you read it apart from me and natalie who could just sit here and gush <laughs> i've also read it but i didn't know it was scottish I, I must have just while i was reading it skimmed over the fact that it was set in Scotland, set in Glasgow, mm. um, because I read it way before I came into the, the sort of the Scottish book club and kind of had this big focus on Scottish books. It's one of those ones like we've been talking about recently, Natalie, that I've read, 
it's Scottish, but I didn't realise it was Scottish. Um, and I absolutely loved it. It's quite a universal book, though. Mm-hmm. It's quite universal. You could read it yeah. anywhere in the world, although it's Scottish. Unless you're from Glasgow, you maybe wouldn't notice. So I spent a lot of it trying to work out where it, what Tesco mm-hmm. she was going to. Yeah. That's what I spent most of my time while I was reading it. Obviously, crying or laughing, as Carrie says, and like pure enjoying it. But I was like, oh, I think it's Mary Hill, by the way, mm-hmm. or Partick, just so you know. I was the same, Scott. I read this um, on actually read it on holiday, like oh, would have been five years ago. So it was before I even, um, you know, was on Instagram, you know, doing my bookish thing before it, you know, long before I'd ever met any of you guys. And I didn't read it because it was a Scottish book. I just read it because um, I just, you know, loved reading and I liked the sound of the blurb. So I, I guess. It's very different to Diane's choice because with Diane's choice, there's a lot of that, you know, you were saying, Diane, the scenery, the location is actually a character in and of itself. This book, it's not Scottish in that sense, as in it's not really about Scottish culture and the location isn't a key factor in the book. But when I read it and when I saw Glasgow, I don't know about any of you guys, but when I see a Scottish town or, you know, something Scottish in a book, I'm like, oh, like that's where I'm from and I get this like we like I want to want to show people look I know where that is because most of the time we read books and it's like you know it's places I've never been I'm not well traveled to read books about like New York or you know um Africa or whatever and I, I love that but when I see a place I know I'm like ah I'm from that country and I just got this wee um excited bubble when I saw that so I didn't pick it because it was Scottish like you Scott but I now absolutely love that it is a Scottish book. Yeah, I was the same. I read it years ago before I was same, wasn't on Instagram. I think someone just recommended it to me. And not until I was reading it did I realise it was set in Glasgow. And I think it was a long time after I read it that I even found out the author was Scottish. So um, I didn't know any of that meant yet. But exactly what you said, um, Carrie, once you find out Eleanor's story, you just want to scoop it up and, and look after her. Um, yeah, I absolutely loved Eleanor as well. I definitely reread it again in the future at some point i've just looked up my review um from when i first read it which was it was only two years ago actually um and all i've said is really short um but i've given it five stars and then i've straight away said i really enjoyed this one i loved reading about characters like eleanor she's totally broken yet i really wanted her to heal um i didn't see the twist coming in this and it left me waiting right to the last minute for it to land it was a slower start for me, but once that story got flowing, I really found this one hard to stop. Yeah, and you've mentioned something that I totally forgot to mention about this because it has a massive plot twist, a really, really good, um, you know, and you, you could be go along guessing, thinking what you, you might happen. There's a lot of things that could have happened to Eleanor, but wow, I, I didn't see that coming either. And I thought that was so clever because it's not a thriller. It's not a book where you're expecting twists and turns. Um, and yet you get one and, and um, yeah, it's, it was just perfect. It was really well done. But amazing without that twist. The twist yeah. is adds to it. It is not yeah. needed at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is one um, my uh, bridesmaid doesn't read mm-hmm. at all. And she decided she was going to read. It was lockdown, actually. She had nothing else to do. She's a teacher. So that was when the schools were closed. She was up at her mum and dad's and nothing to do. And I said, just read this. You love it. You understand how much I love it and keep going on about it. And she read it and she just sent me three simple words and it was, I miss Eleanor. 
Yeah. Yeah. That sums up how I feel about them now. Yeah. I've recommended this one as well to friends who who don't need to or don't need as much as me and for friends who love reading and I always get I've you know you can sometimes get mixed responses for books that you recommend or sometimes there's some books I'm not sure who to recommend to because they're quite niche I would recommend Eleanor to anybody I think just me I think there's something in there for anybody and I always, I've never had somebody come back to me and say, oh, do you know, it just wasn't my cup of tea. Or I just, you know, I've seen other people online saying that they find her annoying, but I think those people just are wrong. understand her. <laughs> and so, are wrong. Last question then, same question. Were you happy with where Eleanor ended up? Oh, I was so happy with how the book ended. And it, it didn't... Um, I don't think the author conformed to this. Uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but I don't think they conformed to this like fairy tale, happy ever after. Uh, I think the way that it ended was exactly how it would have ended in reality. And I think it was perfect. So now we'll get into the reason you guys are here. The Big Scottish Book Club. Um mm. As you know from the previous episode, the other two have went to, into great lengths about News of the Dead and how they felt about it, and we analysed it to death. So this one's a bit different. We get to talk about the gossip. What happened at Damien Barr's Big Scottish Book Club, behind the scenes. But first off, um, just get you to tell us a wee bit about how you found News of the Dead and what your main takeaway was from it. Well, um, I, ha I had conflicted feelings about it. I absolutely loved some elements of it, um, but other parts uh, struggled. Um, but I switched to audio halfway through and that really helped me, with the, especially with the parts that I was struggling with. Um, but overall, I suppose for me, what I took away from it were from Maya's chapters, and that was a lot about... Um, Maya was an, uh, an older character and I just loved how she had this, you know, that wisdom that your granny has that nobody can replace. Like your granny just knows things about life because she's lived a long life and she's had experiences and you just have to respect your granny's insights. And that's what I got from Maya. She was dead philosophical on her insights on life from her experience. And I just thought she had so many quotable um bits especially towards the end of the book and I I love and I loved her story her backstory um, and where it uh, has brought her at the end of the book was my favourite part of it. I really enjoyed Maya's parts as well but I really liked Charles Gibbs chapters and throughout the book club when we were all reading this together they were the chapters that really seemed to divide a lot of people um, it was definitely an unreliable narrator, but I didn't mind that um, about him. I quite liked second guessing everything he was writing um, and his, his journal, which is what we were reading. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't love the book, but I liked it. Um, I did enjoy, as I say, probably the Gibb chapters, I think, were the longest, weren't they? Um, so, yeah, I did like his chapters and I liked Maya's chapters. Um, and I just find it really interesting looking at, it was all set in the one location, but over massively different time frames. Um, so that was interesting. Um, I suppose it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about Sunset Song, about how 
everything changes apart from the land. It's always there and it's the one thing that endures. So I suppose it was a kind of similar theme to that. Um, yeah, I did, I did like the book. I did enjoy parts of it. Um, and I just, I find Charles Gibb quite funny, to be honest. Well, it's funny that you said going back to Sunset Song, because when you were telling me about Sunset Song, I automatically thought of News of the Dead and how it was rural and the location. That was the first thing that I thought, thought about, um, which found I found quite interesting that you got that from Sunset Song and you got it from News of yeah. the Dead. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, that didn't even, until I was talking there, it didn't even come to me, but yeah, there are definitely are similarities. So funnily enough, when we're talking about place um the theme on the big scottish book club in our week was location and i think news of the dead fit that category the most out of the books that were chosen um, mostly because it was rural out in the middle of nowhere up north and the people only had each other they were separate from the rest of scotland and it was a lot about the legacies passed down in that community which I found quite interesting. What did you think of the theme? I was quite surprised because obviously we hadn't been told um, beforehand that that was going to be the theme. But when uh, Damien said that that was, was the theme of, um, that week, uh, yeah, it totally uh, fit. Um, the the new the Glen and News of the Dead is, like you were saying, Diane, in Sunset Song, it does just take on this whole personality of its own um, and it's the one constant thing so I thought I thought it really fit but I was surprised that that was what the theme was going to be but um, it, it's just described so well and especially I think there's one part where um, Charles Gibbs walking in the rain and you just get a really really vivid uh, description of like a drich Scottish like he's up to his knees and mud and water and I'm like yeah I've, I've been there I 100% know how you're feeling and it was just it was really well done vivid um imagery of scotland it was it was really good i think that's something that even just from us talking is a recurring theme it's something that scottish books do really well scottish authors do really well is setting a location in your mind um and describing it really vividly i think as you say even if you weren't scottish and didn't know these places you would get a real sense of the place as you were reading the book. You can tell the genre of Scottish literature, the Scottish part of Scottish literature is very important and not just the culture, yeah. where it is as well. I just finished a book, um, it's not one that we've been talking about this week, but I just finished a book at the weekend that um, I got that, so it was set, it set like kind of on an island off of the Black Isle. And I started reading it when I was on the Black Isle on my honeymoon. And I I was reading that book and I was like, God, this is so Scottish. Like I can vividly picture this little island that you're talking about and the ferry that you have to get on. And I think Mash House was dead like that as well. And um, what was the book? It was, it was The Lighthouse Witches. Um, it was really, really good. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't CJ, I want to see CJ Cook, but I can check that uh, and let you guys know. But it was um, kind of part historical, part contemporary, and it's about the history of witch trials in Scotland. Scotland is actually one of the most horrific histories regarding witch trials, which I didn't know, but it's set in this island off the coast of the Black Isle, and it was just oh, wonderful. I adored it, loved it.
now that we have taken part in our little filming segment, but we've also been part of the studio set where we got to hear from the authors and James Robertson himself when he was talking about News of the Dead, one of the big things that happened while I was listening to James Robertson, and I'm sure I turned around and said this at the end of his interview, was I hate it when authors get the chance to speak about their books because they really change my mind about everything. Um, and hearing James Robertson speak on the Big Scottish Book Club um, with Damien Barr, I was sold on his book, um, which I wasn't beforehand. Um, I'd, I've said before that it wasn't a book that I particularly enjoyed. I can see the enjoyment in it, but I can't um, really get the, the thing myself. It, it wasn't for me. Um, how did you guys feel coming out of the James Robertson interview and had your opinions changed or been strengthened because of what you heard? I actually really like hearing authors talk about their book and that it does change my mind or gives you a deeper insight into it. I always enjoy that part of it. Um, yeah, he was very articulate in what he was saying about it and he spoke about, I think he is a, a historian or he, you know that was his area of um, academic study. So that definitely comes across in the book. Um, you know, the way he talks about historians and old artifacts and things like that, you definitely get that in the book. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed listening to him talk and I completely agree, Scott, it does give you a different insight to the book. I thought when we asked our question as well, um, which big shout out to Lex for, for mm -hmm. asking the question in front of everybody because I, for one, could not have done it. No chance. Oh, no, um, especially the amount of time she had to do it. I know. <laughs> I don't know how she didn't lose her voice. Um, but I thought when he answered our question, and he answered our question with the quote that Lex spoke about on our part one, and I just gasped. I was actually nearly crying. And it was so nice to know that we actually did understand the book. We got what he wanted us to get out of it. And he looked so chuffed. He looked chuffed to bits that that's what we had got from it, um, which I thought was really, really nice. I gave, a, I gave us all an A+, plus, just so you know. Thank you. <laughs> um, I had an A+, plus before. There you go, near the bar. <laughs> <laughs> give myself in. Um, but as well as that, Carrie, my wife said something um, that was quite interesting and you'll be able to either agree or not agree she said that she wishes that he had done the audiobook and took Gibbs voice yeah I am a massive fan of audiobooks read narrated by the authors I, I mean there are some great narrators out there so I'm not you know want to do them out of job but I just feel like there's such a a greater connection because you are hearing it exactly the way they imagined it and when he read that when he so he read the quote that um or he spoke about the quote that, that Lex did but he also gave us a reading right at the start and that was actually the um the gib bit that I was talking about before about where it was soaked in the rain and his um performance of Gibb was just it was it was quite different to the audiobook one not that the audiobook one was bad because I thought the audiobook performance was great but I just feel there, there's this authenticity when an author narrates their own book because that is exactly how they heard it in their head and you're hearing it and I feel like um 
yeah, I would have loved to have heard a, um, a version that he narrated. And saying that, though, in the audiobook, the Maya chapters are narrated by a lady, and I think that was perfect. Maya was perfectly narrated, so I might might have liked that, like the gib parts, um, and even the corner parts by um, the author, but yeah, I, I do agree with that. I, I love an audiobook narrated by the author. I think it's A plus for me as well. I'm going to jump in with my ignorance um, again, and I don't do audiobooks. Um, I've tried one and I didn't enjoy that, um, but it might still be for me. I've just not found the book yet. Is that something that happens regularly? where you've got more than one person reading the book? Um, it can do, Scott. I think it, it, especially where there's books with, um, you know, dual narrative um, or multiple narratives, and especially when the gender of those narratives are, are different or, like, the ages are really different. So, um, oh, I can't think of any others off the top of my head right now, but I've, I've read a couple where or I've listened to a couple where they've had a cast of narrators, actually. Um, That's quite cool. And it can can work really well. It can either work really well, or so, for example, a book that I'm listening to just now, it's not Scottish at all. It's young adult fantasy. Um, So totally off topic, but the narrator from the male parts is bugging the life out of me. Like, his voice is so robotic, but the narrator from the female parts is so good. So, you know, it can... Uh, it can make it or break it and I always say I would say to you Scott for your difficulty with audiobooks give a couple a try because there are some audiobooks I just can't listen to because it really is made or made or broken by the narrator. I agree with you Carrie about enjoying listening to an audiobook that's read by the author and actually I tend to go for non-fiction with audiobooks because quite often it's the author that's, that narrates them Um, I really enjoy listening to um, the author. I don't think I've listened to any that have dual narrators, um, but one I did listen to recently, I know I keep going back to this book, but um, Graham Armstrong's The Young Team, he narrates the audiobook and it's incredible. It's like a performance. It's, it's so good. I think you would enjoy that one, Scott. I would maybe dip your toe I've, back in with that one. I've downloaded that one. Um, I was listening to Lord of the Rings, which I know is going to be dry anyway. Um, but I thought, oh, while I'm at the gym, Listen to Lord of the Rings, the third book. So that's the only one I've not read. Um, and it was I wasn't focused. I was maybe in the wrong setting or doing the wrong thing. But also, I think it's quite a book that you need to think about. Um, but then I had one more credit with my audio subscription. And I thought, who do I know that is going to nail it? And I listened to the sample of the young team. And I thought, when I go back to revisit this book, this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah, um, I also so. think if they do it, which I know they said they were, when Eli Percy, mm. the Duckford, because they gave us a reason. They're really good at spoken word. And um, I think that would be a really good one to listen to because that's almost like a performance as well. They were so, great. And I know if you if you go on to Eli's Instagram page, they have a few readings um, from various parts of the book and every single one of them, totally resells me on duck feet every time I watch one of their performances. The good thing would be about you listening to audiobooks, Scott, is you'll not be on the psychopath. Yeah. In a book. 
You'll not be in the dark with your headlamp. You'll be a bit safer. Although I would suggest those earphones that still let you hear the traffic because then we've got the risk of them walking out into a busy street if you can't hear what's coming. Christmas so. present. <laughs> oh, I hope I get a scoff for it because Santa, I know what you're getting. <laughs> so what about the big man himself, Damien Barr? I thought he was so charismatic. Um, I really did. I thought he did, you know, and he just... I felt for him, he, that's obviously his job, but see that, you know, when you're, you don't think about the behind the scenes bit of TV and having to repeat the same thing. And it's just so natural at it. And he just seems so like full of fun. And um, I, and the big man's right, he's about 20 feet tall, isn't he? He's a giant. <laughs> well, that's easy for me to say, because I'm like a tiny five foot dwarf. Everybody's a giant to me. <laughs> uh, after doing our film in the part where we hate to talk I have absolute newfound respect for people that do that for a living talking down or to a camera or trying to ignore the camera that's pointing right in your face um, is so daunting so like you say he was so charismatic and natural at it and like you say even the times if they were having to do things over again he didn't mind watching it again because it was just it was really enjoyable to watch always the same energy like take three take totally. four always the same energy and yeah. I, it was just thought that you know a lot of job my job is quite mentally exhausting but that to be on performance all the time and having to re like refine that energy when you thought you've got a take and you know somebody somebody bangs a door in the middle <laughs> in the middle of something you have to redo that didn't happen who was that? Was that one of the book club members? I think that? it might have been. <laughs> but it just oh, it so full of energy, on point every time. And yeah, it just seems like, it just, I think he seems like he would fit right in our book club, to be honest. He <laughs> like, I think he, he should be joining us. And group. that was the second show they had done that day. So they'd already filmed a whole other That's show true. in the afternoon. It's the fact that um, he was in between takes as well. He was. Mm -hmm leaning over his chair, having a chat yeah. with the audience. He was pointing things out. Like I think Carrie, he'd mentioned to you, oh, which one was it that got married recently? He's clearly cares so much about what he does. And he clearly cares about this show a lot. It's a, a BBC Scotland programme talking about something that he's passionate about, which is books and Scottish literature. And he clearly wants it all to work. And you can see that oozing out every single pore while he's on stage because this is obviously his baby and he wants it to do so, so well. And he's the heartbeat of every single thing that makes that show what it is. I love that little, you know, the little personal touch, you know, he's chatting away to Natalie. I know he's like, he's struck up like a kind of friendship with you. And um, I have to say that when he said he saw my wedding on Instagram, I felt like Beyonce. I've had the big <laughs> Other celebrities seen my wedding on social media. <laughs> Carry with the good hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Can I just say as well, he's a brilliant author. I don't know if any of you have read um, his novel, You Will Be Safe Here. Um, amazing. Loved it. Oh, haven't, I didn't haven't read that. Yeah. yeah. Haven't read You Will Be Safe Here. It is safely here on my <laughs> shelf. Um, but I am starting tonight. I am starting Maggie and Me. And I cannot wait. But we'll be speaking about that very soon, won't we, Scott? Yes, we will, I do believe. Yeah. As well as meeting Damien Barr and hearing from him, and also getting to hear all about James Robertson and 
um, News of the Dead in person, we also got to see three other authors um, being interviewed or performing as part of the Big Scottish Book Club. And the first one was an author I hadn't heard of going in to the show. Um, and that was Louise Welsh. Um, and coming out of that show, it was the first book that I purchased. Um, I went into the big Piccadilly Waterstones in London and genuinely searched for about 30 minutes for this book around the floors, the five floors of Piccadilly. Um, Waterstones, other bookshops are available. Um, and I eventually was guided towards the LGBTQ section to find the cutting room. Um, and it all makes sense to me now. Um, but at the time I was very confused. Um, so I'll read you the synopsis of the cutting room and then we can have a bit of a chat about Louise um, and her impact on the Big Scottish Book Club. When Rilke, a dissolute auctioneer, comes upon a hidden collection of violent and highly disturbing photographs, he feels compelled to discover more about the deceased owner who coveted them. Soon, he finds himself sucked into an underworld of crime, depravity, and secret desire, fighting for his life. So Louise was on to promote her sequel to this book, The Cutting Room, um, which is January, I think we said January that book comes out. But um, I obviously, before going into a, a sequel, a second book, I thought I had, I'd better read the first. Um, I was totally captivated by Louise reading from uh, her novel and the way that she painted Glasgow um, as well, you guys will know better than I do because you've probably visited more than I have, but she caught the essence of that city so well in those couple of pages she read out. Um, she got every little detail totally right. But at the same time, I also remember having a good giggle at what she'd written as well. Um, so when I thought about, right, what, what book am I going to go and buy, first of all? Um, that's why this book got me, because... It was crime. It reminded me a little bit of an Ian Rankin kind of book with that sort of dirty underworld of one of the big cities in Scotland. But at the same time, um, if you make me laugh when, when I'm reading a book, then you're on to a winner. Um, so Louise Welsh really, really sold her, herself really well to me um, as part of the, the show. How did you guys find Louise and her books? I yeah. felt the same, Scott. You, you and I were sat next to each other um, at the, the Big Scottish Book Show, and I, you know, when she was reading it, we were all turning around to each other, going, "This sounds so good." And she, again, like we've said with the other um, <clears throat> author, she performed it so, so well. Um, and I, the thing that I took was the same thing that you took. I felt that her description of Glasgow was so, it was intense, it was funny, it, it poked fun at itself, but it was just it was so on point. And then later when she wasn't reading from the book, she was just talking about the city in general. She was talking about Paddy's Market. I've never seen Paddy's Market. What well, you know, It's not really been in, in my lifetime, but I know a lot about it. And I felt like when she was describing it, I shut my eyes and I was there, even though I've never been there. Um, so I really got the sense from Louise that you could tell from her 
book reading and from her talking, she loves Glasgow. You just know it. Yep, that was what I took as well. Like after hearing her talk about it, I thought I want to read that book to read what she says about Glasgow. I wasn't interested in the character and where that story goes, but what draws me to it is how she spoke about Glasgow. It just it sounds brilliant. And as you say, sounds so funny as well. And it just sounds as if it's got that absolute Glasgow humour all the way through it. I love the fact that there's a queer element to it as well. So Rilke is queer. And the bit you were probably laughing at, Scott, was the bit where somebody is on Grinder. They're talking about Grinder. She mentioned that in her reading and she just had me straight away because I don't know a crime book that's also queer. I have, that's Scottish. I have never come across that in my whole life. No, no. And this is one of the reasons I was so confused walking around the bookshop because I first went to crime and then I thought, oh, right, it's not there. So I'll go and check um, fiction, not there. Um, I'll go and see if they've got a Scottish section, not there. Um, so I eventually had to ask the man, uh, or my wife, because I'm awkward, had to ask the man in Waterstones uh, where it was. And he knew off the top of his head, because then he, when I bought the book, he was then able to really, really sell it. He said, oh, oh I've read this book. It's the only Louise Welsh I've read, but it's fabulous. I so love it. Um, and this is your your man who works in the England, in London and Waterstones. And he was just saying that it is so fabulously written. Well, I'm raging because we did the exact same as you. Remember we had the discussion in the car? Tomorrow we're going to buy the cutting room because we mm -hmm. are for it, right? My wife went into a bookshop in Glasgow, a big bookshop, searched high and low and could not find it. And the staff went round and round trying to find it. So I still don't have a copy. Well, I've ordered mine online. Mine's just coming tomorrow. Because uh, I was the same as you. I was in Glasgow, um, yeah, the next day. And there were uh, two books from the book sh uh, show that I wanted to buy. And I got one. The, the other one was right there. It was on a big stand. Couldn't find that at all but it's coming tomorrow so very soon we'll all have a coffee read along yay we'll have a read along <laughs> diane get your coffee i'll get on it <laughs> i got paid today so i can go and buy it now <laughs> I just got paid. <laughs> one of the most beautiful bits of louise's chat and i don't know if any of you's noticed it I, we were right at the front so maybe we noticed it more she didn't just love Glasgow, she loves Glasgow authors. She spoke a bit about Alistair Gray and how she walked by this, his house, I think it was, was yeah. it his house? And she could see him working away. And then she started speaking about how she's not used to not seeing him there. And she started to choke up and she just had me. She's just so cute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really authentic, genuine, just lovely person who you, I could have sat listening to her all night yeah so louise if you want to go to the pub scottish book club's ready so next in the lineup was sarah perry on to discuss her book essex girls not scottish but i think a lot of things that us scottish people can relate to um essex girls are disreputable disrespectful and disobedient they speak out of turn too loudly and too often and an accent irritating to the ruling classes. 
Their bodies are hypersexualized and irredeemably vulgar. They are given to intricate and voluble squabbling. They do not apologize for any of this. And why should they? In this accelerating feminist defense of the Essex girl, Sarah Perry re-examines her relationship with her much maligned home county. So I think to start with, I was like, oh, that's a weird pick for Big Scotch Book Club. But when Sarah started talking, there was a lot that maybe Scottish women, especially West Coast women, especially Glaswegian women, and it was set in Motherwell, so it was actually probably quite spot on. We had a lot to relate to for that because we are seen as being too loud, too crass. We say what we want, we do what we want, and that doesn't really fit in to the British way that they want us women to be. So I actually, to start with, I was like, oh, I'm not sure of that. That's not for me. And then as she started, she kept speaking. I was like, yep, that's one I want on my shelf. How, what did you think? Uh, actually, one of the things that I really liked um, when listening to Sarah talking was when she spoke about accents and the Essex accent and how she had to train herself to almost come out of that way of speaking. I kept thinking about you, Natalie, and how we've spoken about before that you felt that you've had to suppress your accent or change your accent because some people see that as quite a common way of talking or not particularly intelligent. Um, and recently you've come to be quite proud of the way you talk and quite proud about of where you come from and, and that sort of background thing. So I felt as she was talking I was getting flashbacks from talking to Graham Armstrong and the way that he was speaking again we're going to name check the young team when he was bringing all of that to us as well speaking about how it doesn't matter how you talk or it doesn't matter about um, where you come from you can be that success as well and I was taking that from Essex Girls as much as I was talking pretty much about the Paisley Posse or whatever but Essex girls was still it's like she said it's a, it's a state of mind rather than a, a geographical location and a place of being um so I really like that yeah I think that's what I liked about it I think if I had heard about that book maybe 10 years ago it maybe wouldn't have meant as much to me but now I've learned to embrace my accent and just kind of roll with it it's like somebody coming along from a different place in, in the UK, but saying, hey, I've had the same issues. I've, I'm from the same background. And we are, the, it's a regional thing. It's not just about your country and your accent. It's about all these regions um, and that they're starting to embrace it. So it's nice. It's a kind of, what do they call that? Renaissance. We're all learning to embrace where we came from. And it's really nice to see, not just from a Scottish perspective, but other places in the UK. Another thing that I found really interesting about her chat was her talking about Essex itself. There was a lot of history that I didn't know about Essex. I thought, I mean, I'm really shit at geography and stuff, but I just thought Essex was London. But actually it's looked down upon in London and the surrounding areas because of you know, where they get their money, how they became up and coming because of, um, was it de-industrialisation or something? They got, they ended up becoming wealthy because of the building trade. I didn't know any of that. Um, and that's something I found really interesting because I like history. 
Uh, no, that's a good point. I didn't think any of that about Essex either. I actually thought it was quite a like a recent town, city, whatever it is. Um, I didn't think there was as much historical element to um, Essex as there is. I, that was something that I knew nothing about. That was really interesting to hear her talking about that. Um, but yeah, as you see as well, there's definitely, despite the fact that she's from from Essex, how far away that is from us, there was so much familiarity in what she was saying. I really like the whole concept of, you know, identity and what you, you know, especially I suppose what women are supposed to be. And you're just talking about women, you know, being loud mouthed and, um, you know, not being quiet, not, you know, sitting there, you know, having other people's opinions um, and how, you know, we, sh we should dress a certain way to be treated a certain way. Um, I I, that's something that I really, you know, connected with. I'm, you know, short blonde I talk to my friends about this all the time I get treated in my workplace sometimes quite dismissively because they assume because I'm blonde that I'm stupid and I know she's not talking about blondes the Essex girl thing is different but there are similar things to that and I really felt a lot of what she was saying about you know you can't and you can't dress nicely um, or you can't dress a certain way in my role work without people think you know you're a bimbo or you know you're you're an airhead and you don't get taken seriously in a lot of the settings in my uh, line of work if you don't conform to that idea of either you've got to be dowdy you know like and trainers and like baggy clothes and not really caring about your appearance because if you don't care about your appearance then you must be caring about your work or you've got to look hyper-professional to be in higher management. You can't really have this middle ground, um, and, and particularly if you're young and if you're if you're blonde, I feel like that's um, a particular issue. And what she was saying about how women look, how women act, being outspoken, I felt that... So she said something about the Essex girl persona not just being about women from Essex but it's a, it's a persona it's an identity and she kind of spoke about um you know Kim Kardashian and um how she's perceived and I, I felt that I felt like that Essex girl persona can be translated anywhere you go and um, that really rung true for me. I think I would love to go somewhere and just listen to her speak just a mm -hmm. one woman show and actually listen to her talk because I think she is quite feminist, but not in an overpowering way. She's just talking about, you know, just love who you are and embrace who you are and where you're from. And I don't even think it's just a, a female thing. You know, Scott, you must, you maybe felt the same. I don't think it's just a, something that if you're a female, you can get away from it. Although it's talking about Essex girls. I think whatever your background, especially like working class background or regional voices and any of that, you can actually listen to her and go, yep, that's me. I am an Essex girl. I think there's something to take away from it, um, regardless of whatever your background is. Um, and there were elements of, of my job where I was thinking, oh, yeah. Yeah, sometimes just because I'm the man in the room, they go, oh, you're the man, so... You're, going to, you're just in this for promotion or you're just in this for the sort of easy job. Um, and that, in a way, is also what Sarah's talking about. 
that those sort of heavy stereotypes that can sometimes follow you just based on who you are um not so much anything that you give off or you say or you do but purely because of your gender or where you're from or all that kind of stuff it it can resonate with anyone i think so sarah perry you are a scottish girl okay and the final guest on the big scottish book club was mara menzies now mara wasn't interviewed or didn't get the chance to speak about um her book she just did a little bit of spoken word she performed some of her book which is called blood and gold and she performed a small section um from this book and i don't know about you guys but it i felt it um and we were lucky enough because somebody closed a door really loudly during the first performance we were actually really lucky to get to see it twice and the second time where Mara performed, it was just as impactful and just as beautiful. And it was something that really touched me. And I, I was really happy to then realize that Mara Menzies is coming to Dundee. Um, oh, lucky yeah. you, Gwen. Yeah. So as part of the Scottish International Storytelling Festival, which is sort of Edinburgh-centric, but now and again they do bits around Scotland. So um, Mara, as well as Lynn Martin, who's a local musician in Dundee, um, in collaboration with the Blether Tay Together uh, group, are hosting something on the HMS Unicorn, which is one of the really old boats down on the docks at Dundee. And they're having uh storytelling and singing and songs night on board the boat for a fiver um next tuesday night and so after seeing that little performance i'm now going to go and see her for two hours i'm really excited i'm so jealous i loved this was apart from obviously the reason why we were there um you know talking about news of the dead and stuff i this was my favorite part of the night it gave me chills uh, uh, and it brought tears to my eyes her performance it was just so moving and this when we were speaking earlier about what book we went straight out and what this was the book the next day uh, I wanted to buy all the books we talked about but this was top of my list if I had one book left by that weekend it was this one I loved it she stole and, uh, this show yeah. I think this also fits into a conversation we've had before on the podcast Natalie about Scottish voices, but talking about Black history. Yeah. Um, and this book sounds perfect. And if we'd read this book before we'd done that podcast, this was probably getting a mention. Um, I'll just, do you want me to read you the sort of synopsis, the blurb? Tell everybody um, what Scott is so excited. <laughs> so empowered by a box of stories and myths that her dying mother gave her as a parting gift, Jeda embarks on an incredible journey. As she learns about her ancestors, she discovers the pain and persecution they suffered at the hands of empire builders and oppressors. But she also finds pride, love, and sacrifice. Through tales of tragedy, wonder, and magic, she finds the strength to overcome the shadows that engulf her own life and climb towards the light. Lovely. Uh, perfect. Diane, what did you think of the performance? And getting to hear it twice. Exactly. It was so unexpected a performance that really took me by surprise 
as Carrie said, absolute shivers while she was doing it. And it was what a minute and a half or something, if that. It wasn't long at all, but it was amazing. You could have heard a pin drop both times. Um, and for all we got to see it twice, I can't wait to see it again when it's on the telly. Um, she was incredible. And that's the beauty of these types of TV programmes that you know none of us had ever heard of her. Uh, but it was one of our favourite parts of the evening and now we're all wanting to go and see it again and read our book and so that's what I love about you know these types of shows that showcase um, Scottish books and Scottish authors because they just bring so much that, that you'd never heard of before and um, yeah she was amazing. And how do you think reading the book will translate well do you think it'll be as, as powerful as her performance? Possibly not um, because, like I say, her performance was so unexpected. But possibly now having seen her and would look her up online and look for more performances of her, so I maybe now more have her voice in my head when I'm reading it. So I think yeah. that might help um, when it comes to reading the full book yourself. Um, but yeah, I would love to see her performing more or like an audio book or something. That would be incredible. Yeah, the bit that she read out meant so much to me because it was Scottish, very, very Scottish. Mm -hmm. When you when people see it, they'll understand exactly mm -hmm. what we're talking about. It was so Scottish and yet so is it African culture? Yeah. Blended them together and just kind of proved to these people out there that don't think it is, she's just as much part of that culture as she is a part of Scottish culture. And it was so, so beautiful. And I felt proud of it all. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that that was especially touching the bit that she read. And um, for that exact reason, you, you felt, you know, at the start of it swept up in one culture and one sort of set of, you know, you could get that sense of like myths and, and storytelling from it. And then the, the ending part, which was the, the more Scottish part, just, oh, I, I, I can't even describe like the that you say just spine tingling it was so so good and I'm the same as you Diane I think having I don't know if I'd read it and not seen her perform I would have got the same I hope I would have but having heard her done it I'm going to be picturing that the full way through reading it and, and having her voice and her performance for the full full reading of it as well the Scottish part she chosen is something that we as Scottish people use as a part of celebration so then to have it done through loss it was very very impactful and it's actually changed not how I see that song because it still means a lot to me in that sense but it's gonna while I'm celebrating while that song on is on I'm gonna be thinking of the people we've lost in the future as well yeah she yeah. really turned it on its head didn't she and like you say just let you see it in a whole from a whole different light um uh, it was so so clever mm -hmm. And we're all sitting here in near enough in tears, just like <sighs> Okay. Well, that now perfectly rounds up our evening um, of, of and whole experience, actually, of being part of Damien Barr's Big Scottish Book Club. And I'm actually sad that it's over. Um, I'm, I just want to do it again. I want to talk about books. And I want to go and see authors talking about their books. And I just want to have that feeling again of 
because I've never done anything like that before. I've never been to a reading or been to see an author signing books or anything like that before. So this is my first real experience of that live and in the flesh. And it was so nice. And what a, what a start for you then, Scott. Yeah. You went from doing nothing to doing everything just all at once. Yeah. All on, all on the big BBC. Look at me go. Um, so actually that's a, a good point to make. I, I wouldn't have had that opportunity if it wasn't for our Scottish book club, but also if it wasn't for Damien Barr, um, who we've spoken about before um, tonight or in today's podcast. And this is his show. He lives and breathes this show. And I am, I was so thankful and so pleased to be part of that as and I know the rest of the book clubbers were as well. Um, and also to Nicholas, who was our helping hand. He organised everything for us. I know he communicated through Natalie and also through others um, throughout our whole process. And he couldn't have done anything more um, to make us feel relaxed and make us feel special, um, but also to make the whole experience as great as it was for us all. Um, so a big, big thank you. Um, to Damien Barr and to the rest of his crew um, for everything that they have done for us as in our experience of the Big Scottish Book Club. So guys, are you ready for one more game? How would you feel about taking part in the set done in 60 seconds? I'm really, really nervous. These, like, I would be the worst person on a quiz show because under that type of pressure, I crumble I, I i honestly will just shout random stuff yes like joey in that episode of friends have you seen that one where he's on the game show and he just he's shouts, on jeopardy so a ghost, a ghost. That, that's me so well i hope that i don't utterly embarrass myself but at least it might be entertaining <laughs> that's what we're looking for entertaining yet potentially embarrassing well i am your man or lady stand by your man that's the embarrassing bit are we ready yes time is ready time is ready and three two one slice of square sausage square square salt and curry Salt and vinegar or salt and sauce? Salt and vinegar. Salt and vinegar. Favourite Scottish book? Oh, uh, now the young team. Shuggy Bean. Favourite place in Scotland? Oh, uh, Glencoe. Aaron. Favourite Scottish word? Oh, my God. Um... Oh, uh, oh, Greek. That comes up every week. <laughs> Mingin. Mingin, good one. Oh, I've got a better one. But I don't Go know if I can it. say it. Can Go. I say Bobag? Yes, yes, you can. That's been said before as well. Uh, East Coast or West Coast? West Coast. West Coast. And that's the time. But number seven. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Quick as you can. Natalie no or Scott? Natalie. Scott. 
they're the first people that have actually asked answered the question I, I told yeah, her that was fair. she's got the power to chuck me out of the bit club <laughs> I'm going to edit every single thing Carrie's said in this podcast out except for the bit where she says Natalie so that's us for this week. I hope you've all enjoyed. Thank you to Carrie and Diane both for coming on and Scott for putting up with me for another episode. And thanks to all you guys at home that are listening week in, week out. At the time of filming this, we are on our third episode and we have had loads of listeners, loads of questions, loads of feedback, and it has been brilliant. So thank you very, very much for that. Um, so Carrie... Where, if uh, listeners want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? I am at Carrie underscore reads underscore books on Instagram. Cool. And Diane, you like Scott better, so we'll ignore you. No, where can they find you? <laughs> I am on Instagram at books in Scotland. And Scott, where can they find you? Well, I can be found down at my local pub throwing darts at a photograph of Carrie's face. Um <laughs> but you can also find videos of that particular uh, event on my Instagram at Scott You're Reading. Awesome. And if you want to find me, because I am everybody's favourite, um, you find me on Twitter at Scotties and Books and Instagram Scotties and Books. And if you have any questions or you'd like to be part of the show, get in touch with us at our email, which is the wee Scottish book club at gmail.com. So I guess all that's left to say is, Scott, you dancing? Are you asking? Nah, I'd rather dance with Carrie. She likes me better. I'll dance with Diane then. You'll find she does this. She gets really proud of something she says. You know that's the end of a segment. (laughs) All right. Um, so I have fucked that up. Um, and I'm gonna start again. Carrie, if you could keep the voice down, Tim. Yeah, could you shut up? <laughs> Die quietly, please. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> On a wage rise for that. <laughs> yeah, you can be risen from nothing to zero nothing. point nothing. <laughs> Our accountant will take care of that. Do you know what's really bizarre? I meant what anyway. Just everybody outtakes is going to be everybody doing a version of. <laughs> I would, I'm good. I can do it on my feet. Look, wow, I'm ready. <laughs> Were they after doing her hair, sitting in a chair, in her underwear, next to Claire? <laughs> she has brought herself some marshmallows and our candle lighter, <laughs> so that she can sit and. <laughs> that's an amazing snack. Don't know. That's a, that is a. I mean, that is a banging snack. No, you said something's bizarre. I went, no. Do you know what's bizarre? And you went, and I went, I love a toasted marshmallow. Black and gold's a song, isn't it? Black and gold. Yeah. Black and gold. Black and gold. Scott, it's a to- it's a power thing. She's got the she's got the power to chuck me out. Also, I told you I would panic because I never say square sausage. I would say a rolling slice. I don't know what my brain was doing. <laughs> <laughs>